earth. There is a seed that we sow, and there is a reward for it. There is a labor that we engage in all the time. And remember, God put the man and the woman in the garden to do what? Tend it. So he put us here to work. So if you're working all the time, see, Adam and Eve didn't work like punch in a clock and go in and sit in an office. Everything they did was a labor. When they walked, it was a labor. When they spoke, it was a labor. When they <clears throat> obeyed God, it was a labor. So everything, every activity that we do, thinking, uh, speaking, acting on what we speak, is a labor. Now, the reason that we are either rewarded or indebted or punished for what we do here on earth has to do with the fact that it's all work and it's all labor. So there are like no neutral activities down here. Everything that we do has a reward or penalty for it because it is a labor. It is a work. And so when we endeavor to, to go about our daily lives, we accumulate debt because of sin. Sin is like a negative labor. It's a labor that pulls a penalty or a negative reward to you. So anytime we sow seeds, like when you're born again, you can sow seeds or do labors by the spirit or you can do them by the flesh. When you do them by the flesh, you sow seeds of unrighteousness and you draw penalty. So the Bible says, be ye not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever man sows, that shall he reap. Now people think if you don't do something deliberately, it wasn't sown. But how many of you pick up a cold here and there or, you know, have to go to the doctor for one thing or another? So if there's some debt being worked somewhere that accumulates after a while. It's cut short, I think, by the fact that the blood of Jesus annihilates sin. So at the same time, you may be sowing some unrighteousness in your life. If you're obeying God, too, you're sowing seeds in the other kingdom and one will outweigh the other one. But at some point there's going to be some debt accumulated if you don't repent and change the way you do things. You know, sometimes you can do things with, a, you know, without a malicious intent, and God sees that and he understands and he tries to help you a little bit. But there are some things, too, that we do deliberately that we know are, are not right things in the seeds of sown. Now, does this sound right or what's going on here? doesn't sound quite right to me. Is it okay? All right. So anyway, if we continue like that, then we will accumulate debt, and that debt has to be paid. It has to be canceled out somewhere. It has to be accounted for. Now, the only thing that can happen is a price must be paid for redemption. The only way out of this debt of the labor of sin that we all enter into the Bible says all of sin is fallen short of the glory of God. So the only way out of that debt is through redemption. You can't pay it. You're born with it. You're stuck with it. So you've got to wait for a redeemer to come and pull you out. There's no other way. People have tried for years to figure out how to pay their way into heaven and nobody's made it yet. The Catholics had a system of what they called indulgences, where if you knew the Pope and you had enough money, 
you could try and pay your way into heaven. Then a man in Germany by the name of Martin Luther picked up his Bible one day, which they were hard to find. He picked up a Bible one day and found out that the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And he set about trying to find out what this faith was all about that the Bible spoke of because he realized that there was no way that man could pay his way into redemption. It had, he had to be purchased out of it. So get this out of your mind. Works will not do it. No labor that you can do. In fact, the more you work and try to get yourself out of this kind of debt, the more debt you incur. Can you believe that? And you may say, I'm a Christian, I've got good intentions. How many of you were like Catholic or... You know the whole drill. You go in, you do the sacraments, you know, you try not to look too stupid in front of your little friends. And, you know, they put you in junior high school and then you get the uniforms that you can roll up the waist of it and show your kneecaps. (laughs) So much for the sacraments, huh? Huh? See? So the more you try to pay your way and work your way out of this debt, the more debt you incur, right? Because you were in a school that taught religion all the time, and you got worse. Just like all your little public school friends got worse over the years, you got worse too. And so we begin to see this debt incurred in a deeper and deeper way over the years. Until most of us get to a point where the debt is so big we can't you know make excuses for it anymore we can't think it's cute anymore the weight of our sin begins to press in on us and we begin to cry out for relief from it and we need a savior and so this is the only way out of this debt of sin and this debt of the labor of sin that we all get into now as a believer you can put yourself in the same debt it's called religion and we've all been there done that Got a t-shirt, wrote a song about it, want to hear it, here it go. Oh, my religious spirit. Oh, I'm sick of being so religious. But I can't let nobody know. Huh? So you go to church every Sunday and you put on your little act and you pretend and... When you get home, you have roast preacher for dinner and fried preacher for lunch. Huh? We've all been there and done that. And the debt still accumulates. And then one day you decide that you're going to try these weird people that everybody in your religious church talks about. But somehow those people seem to be free and they don't seem to be worried like you and they don't seem to be in your bondage. And they never have the right kind of church or the right kind of music or the right kind of, just like your place does. Your church has a pew. And they sit on fold-up chairs. Your building is white and it's got a steeple on it. 
and they might be in a storefront or in somebody's basement, but they seem to be having a good time. And people wear jeans to the meeting. But when you go to one place, you feel heavy and indebted. When you go to the other one, you feel free. So you've got to make up your mind where you belong. So this thing of redemption is something that is a process that everybody has to go through to find their way to freedom, liberty, and to a Savior. The only way you can get out of this debt of life and a life of sin is through redemption. Now the price of redemption is set by the Redeemer. The price of redemption is set by the Creator. All of these things that we talk about where God is concerned, they're already settled. And they're already done. They're already written down. So the only thing that we're doing, you know, is finding out how to fit in and how to live in this new system. And so Jesus, because he is a faithful creator, set the price of redemption high enough so that only God could pay it. So there wouldn't be any two saviors. There wouldn't be any two anything. There would be no confusion because God's not the author of confusion. And God knows how to lead people to himself. So when we talk about leading people to the Lord, (laughs) how many of you led to the Lord recently? Huh? You ain't leading them people nowhere. You just happen to be the best possibility God has for helping them with whatever questions they have. But he's already worked on them. He's worked on their hearts. They know what they want. They know what they need. They can tell you better than you can tell them. The only thing God needs is somebody to witness this purchase that their soul is being purchased out of the grip of hell. So what does it mean to be redeemed? One of the definitions for redeemed means to be the next of kin. So implied in redemption is either a broken kinship relationship where your redeemer is your next of kin, only you've been estranged from that person. Your next of kin who is in a higher position than you are, and they are reaching down to help you. So what's implied here is an obligation of blood. Huh? Listen, if, you, if I find out you kin to me, I'm coming to look you up. So people do that? I was driving through Alabama. And I remember my daddy said he had some kinfolk down here 20 years ago, and I looked in the phone book, and it's you, them kinfolk. And people say, you know, I think we do have somebody. Come on by. Only relatives can do that with one another. Mm -hmm. So this next of kin implication in Redeemer means that it's somebody who's somewhat obligated to you to do this. Because of blood relationship. Now, you can refuse to be a relative to that person if you want to. 
but you're going to suffer the penalty for it. You ever had relatives that treat you like, you know, you got dew on your heels? Huh? They wind up forsaken, forlorn, with no friends. There's like a penalty that they incur for treating their kinfolk bad. You know, the uppity ones in the family. And everybody's waiting for them to have hard times so that, you know, they can get one coming to them because they don't treat us right. So if the person who is to redeem you is the next of kin, this person is obligated to pay the price of your redemption. And that's God. He created us as his family. And that relationship was broken because of what we did. What the man and the woman did broke that relationship. But God, being what the Bible calls a faithful creator. This is one thing you've got to understand about God. He is a faithful creator. I don't care if you're the worst relative in the family. I don't care if you're the Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, who a hee-haw all rolled into one person. The, uh, who is that uh, uh, David Horton talked about the uh, family on the um, lampoon vacation, people living in the trailer park, trailer trash family. I don't care if you're them in the family. Your Redeemer, if he is faithful, he will come and get you and pay the full price for your ransom because he is a faithful creator. When God saw us broken and unable to help ourselves, he already had a plan to come and bring us back to him. It was already set. It was already in motion. So being a faithful creator means that he doesn't leave you to figure out how to get close to him yourself. He already has a plan for it. And all you have to do is cry out to him in such a way that he knows you need a redeemer. And he will come and redeem you. Redemption also means responsibility to set free. So whenever your Redeemer comes, he comes with that in mind to rescue you, set you free from bondage, pay the price, break the shackles, break the chains, get you out of trouble, get you out of jail, whatever it takes to get you free, that's what the Redeemer does. I don't care if you got yourself into the mess you in. He is an obligated redeemer. He is what the Bible refers to as a kinsman redeemer. He is your new near kinsman. The story about Ruth and Boaz is really a story about Christ in the church. Remember Ruth? She married into a family of jerks. But sometimes you feel like that. You know, God, I did the best I can. I married this man in full faith and confidence. And, you know, <laughs> she winds up. Her, the, all the men in the family die and leave three women, Ruth, who is the mother. I mean, uh, Naomi, who's the mother-in-law, and Ruth, who is a, a daughter-in-law. And what was the other girl's name? Anybody remember her name? 
Orpha? Okay. So they left these three chicks by themselves. And in order for them to be taken care of, they got to find a man somewhere. I'm real sorry. You know, I know preachers get on women in the church for looking for a man, but uh, hello, it's in the Bible. Where do you think we got it from? We got it from reading the Bible. I need me a front row going here. Well, maybe I go down this way. Huh? That's right. You can't help it because you read your Bible and they don't. Say a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. <laughs> but Ruth, Naomi, uh, Ruth comes into covenant with Naomi because she was married to the son. You know, the Bible says if you're widowed, you are, your relationship to that man is terminated. You know, you're free. Now, she was free to go wherever she wanted to go. But she swore an oath to Naomi because she respected the type of woman she was. You know, mothers-in-law, it's good to be a good example before your married children because they will either survive or not survive depending upon what you live like sometimes. So these two women <coughs> went back to uh, where they had come from. It Was it Bethlehem they come from? I forget. I didn't even read the story before we started out. But they went back and... Naomi began to understand that there was a relative who could redeem the inheritance that her son had left because every family was given property in a parcel of land. And so this man feels the obligation of here are two women who have an inheritance that they need to claim, but it has to be claimed legally, and he is the near kinsman. And so... Naomi sends Ruth down to glean in the yard to show this man that she ain't just looking for a handout. You know, I mean, people gleaned because that was the principle of God. You know, if you had property, you were allowed to, uh, and you had a crop, you were allowed to only reap a certain amount. You left the corners for people who were hungry, but they had to work and get it. You know, there wasn't a welfare check coming in your door every month. You had to work for what you wanted. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. But this was typical that people, after the main crop was taken, people would come every day and glean something from, for their existence. And so <clears throat> then Ruth begins to show up every day, and he senses that she is a proper woman, but she is in need of a redeemer. A redeemer, let me explain something to you. When you are redeemed and purchased back into the family, that is better than getting handouts on a regular basis. She needed to be redeemed so she could have her own property. See, redemption establishes you in an inheritance. It is not just going to God begging for something every time you get in trouble. But redemption puts you back in the family with your inheritance, your property, your name, your property. 
your reputation, your status, everything comes back to you when you're redeemed. See, this is why your little friends that mooch prayer off of you when they're in trouble, they need to get saved. You know, they don't need to be hanging on to you every time they're in trouble. They need to find the Lord for themselves so that they can get themselves established in their own inheritance. So they can go to God themselves and know they have something coming from God, but they have to be purchased into it. They just can't receive it all the time. They've got to receive it the right way. So to be redeemed means to be purchased, to be ransomed. The Redeemer is also the Revenger. Oh, yeah. Uh, We need some justice and revenge here sometime, folks. You ask those people who lost, lost loved ones to snipers, they don't want revenge. That is a common, that's why we have penalties in our law, so that people who have been wronged can feel that they have been righted in some way. It takes away the anger. It quells the anger. Whenever people suffer a loss, that loss has to be compensated for and covered. And that's what a redeemer does. He revenges you of everything that has been stolen to you through your own behavior. Can you imagine that God would be that good to you to pay you back for stuff you did to yourself? And most of y'all had fun doing it. It's true. It's true. God makes sure everything is accounted for. There is nothing lost, nothing stolen, nothing missing. Everything's taken into account and everything's accounted for. So for those of you who think you're victims, you got a raw deal, why don't you get redeemed? And understand that vengeance has come, and you have been revenged of your adversary. You have had everything that was ever stolen from you is accounted for, and it's waiting for you to claim it by faith. It's waiting for you to walk into your inheritance so that you can have the things that God originally planned for you to have. To redeem somebody means to sever to preserve and to release. So we are redeemed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 states that we have redemption through his blood. His life was the price of your redemption. A life for life. He took your empty life and gave you his full life, if you will receive it. Mostly what most people on the outside looking in, when they look at Christians, they think that if they become a Christian, they're going to lose more than they're ever going to gain. That's always the thought. Why? Because the things that bring us happiness and make us complete and bring us joy, our inner things. They're the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Ghost that makes us complete. When you're a sinner, you've got to have flesh stuff going on all the time. Expensive stuff. Looking for things to make you happy from moment to moment. 
and it doesn't look like it's fun to them because it's fun coming from another kingdom and serving a different part of your being. It's serving your spirit now instead of serving your body all the time. And so when we come into redemption, we have been bought into the family of God once more. We're no longer the trailer trash relative that nobody wanted to see and be around. The full price has been paid for us. There's no reason why any Christian alive should feel inferior, feel uh, incompetent, feel useless, feel less than, because the full price of your redemption has been paid. You haven't been halfway paid for. You've been fully paid for. Shed blood is shed blood. Once he spilled it all out, the ransom was dropped for you. And we need to understand it and come out of our self-made bondage. Many of us do not walk in our redemption because we think we've got to still measure up. You've been paid for already. You can't earn this. Something has to be paid for you. It has to be given for you. It, you, can't, you don't have nothing to do with this. This deal was worked out for you by the council of heaven way before the foundation of the earth. You wasn't even born when the board meeting went on. And don't ask to see the minutes from the meeting to make sure this is your minutes. Your, your 66 books is your minutes from the meeting. Huh? You want to make sure it's all there. You don't even know what it entails. So all we can do is learn about it and live it as we go along. So when you understand redemption, you understand that there was a penalty incurred. And that penalty was known in advance. It was known in advance by a faithful creator that that penalty would be incurred. And he already foreknew, forethought out, forearranged, prearranged everything having to do with your redemption, your restoration, your setting back into place, your inheritance. He has worked all of that out already for each and every one of us. So we're not catching God, God by surprise when we finally confess something we've been doing forever. Huh? Like, God, you know that? Yes, he knows it. And he's been waiting for you to know you need to get rid of it. Huh? So the price, the full price has been paid for everything you do wrong. Don't be shocked at what you do. And don't be shocked at how long it takes you to get something right sometimes. The full price has been paid for you to get up and try it again. It's been paid for you to have a second chance. It's been paid for you to have it established over and over again. It's been paid for you to blow some of your inheritance and then God give you some more. It's been paid for. Everything's been paid for. So if God didn't pay a full price for you, there wouldn't be a full ransom for anybody. So the full price has been paid for all of us. Now there is a connection. See where I want to go with redemption. Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so who have been redeemed by his power. Let me turn there. Everything that sin incurred for you 
The price has been paid for that. You don't have to try to work your work anything off. You don't have to try and pay some more. Obedience is all the payment that God requires of us after we know we're redeemed. It says, let the Lord, the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he, excuse me, has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So that's what you've been redeemed out of, being manipulated by the devil, being his pawn, being his slave, being the one that he always uses for degrading things. And then you wake up the next morning and you don't even care to remember what you did the day before. You have been purchased out of that power. He was your enemy masquerading as your friend. So you've been purchased out of the power of deception. Once you get out of the enemy's clutches, there is nothing that he can do to grab onto you again. Now he can try. He can try to convince you that he's got power. He can try to blow your mind. He can try all kinds of things. But you have been redeemed. So the blood has paid for everything that you need. You don't have to have any fear because you are redeemed. Why? Because your Redeemer is the Lord of hosts. Redemption is as old as the book of Job. In Job 19, you see that. So this was before Job supposedly is the oldest book in the Bible. Everybody agrees that uh, he started before even the book of, not Genesis, but the, the um, patriarchs that you see in the book of Genesis. So in the book of Job, let me turn to that. In chapter 19, in verse 25, He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Now, Job saw a vision. He saw Jesus standing in the latter day upon the earth. So he saw Jesus in his ministry as he walked on the earth. All of that. I mean, he didn't do too bad for a man laying there on the bed of affliction, folks. Sometimes afflictions can work your flesh out of you and work your spirit into life. He says, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So he saw Jesus resurrected as well. He said, even though worms destroy this body, in my flesh I will see God. And he actually saw him in his flesh because the Lord came and restored him, restored him everything that the devil had stolen. So he knew he needed a redeemer. He knew he needed somebody to come and pay for him to get off that sick bed. He knew he needed somebody who would pay a price for him to get up because he didn't have a clue how to do it himself. So he said, I need somebody to come rescue me. I need somebody to come and buy me out of this mess that I'm in. Amen. It's, it's, a, it's a, a response to sin. You know, a lot of times sickness is from a life of sin. You know, either your sin or somebody else's or the sin of unbelief or whatever it is. If you can't get up with your confession, 
then you better know your Redeemer lives. You better know you serve a living Redeemer who has purchased you out of that. And it's not going to be your confession this time, and it's not going to be your faith, and it's not going to be the elders of the church slinging oil on you. But it's going to be getting in a deeper relationship with your Redeemer. Because if you know He lives, you better get in touch with Him because you need Him real bad. And see, a lot of times we live a step in formula Christianity. You know, when we need something, we grab a scripture instead of grabbing Him. Like, that scripture ain't really Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can live a detached kind of relationship with God just quoting words. But if you understand that when your soul is vexed or when you don't know how to get out of a situation as quickly as you'd like to, you better know that somebody around has enough price that they can pay to get you out of it. And if you're living in the new covenant, you need to know every day that that price has already been paid for you and your inheritance is freely given to you. In Jeremiah 50, 34... You'll see that the Redeemer is the Lord of armies. So your Redeemer, number one, is a near kinsman to you. He's obligated to you. So this Redeemer has to do something for you. And he's not dependent on your good behavior and your beautiful teeth and your wonderful smile. And you know how to cook good. He ain't looking at your fried chicken. But he's obligated to you by blood, by his shed blood and by the blood that, that he, you belong to his family. So in Jeremiah fifty thirty four, says the Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. So he can revenge you because he is the Lord of all armies. He makes every war, any war that goes on, he's in charge of it. He puts together any army that you may need to fight any battle that you may need to win. Amen. All you got to do is stand faithful to the Redeemer, stand in faith and stand on the Word. Keep declaring your victory. Keep standing strong. Don't give up. And you know your Redeemer liveth, and He will come for you. Okay. says He shall thoroughly plead their cause. He's a, a Lord who is the Lord of a war of words. So these armies are word armies. All he has to do is say the word and the devil runs or the devil drops dead or he gets confused and fights himself. This is a different kind of warrior. He don't have to hurt nobody. He don't have to raise his hand. He don't have to get his clothes dirty. All he has to do is plead your cause, which he has done. Before the throne of grace, Jesus has already advocated for you. What did he tell Peter? He said, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. He said, but I've already prayed for you. So the prayers that need to be prayed for you are already done. All you need to do is keep your confession straight. Because he's the high priest over your confession. So that's how you win or lose every battle you get into by what you say about your Redeemer. Amen. You pump him up. You keep saying Jesus is Lord. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. I know that he's going to come for me. 
I know that he's going to pay my bills. I know he's going to look out for my children. I know he's going to take care of us. I know my Redeemer liveth. Huh? And in my flesh I shall see God. He says that they may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. So anytime your Redeemer gets involved, the devil's disturbed. Of course, that nut's disturbed anyway, but he's even more disturbed. So he stirs him up. He keeps him agitated, disquieted. It has no rest. So that's who the Redeemer is. He is the Lord of armies and he fights for you. That is in Isaiah 49. In verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, your Redeemer is holy. That means there's nothing wrong with him. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is just. Everything he does is fair. Everything he does is by the book. But to your favor, he's a merciful Redeemer. He has mercy on people who are weak. He has mercy on us. David said he knows our frame. He knows we're just dust. He knows all of that about you. And he still wants to elevate you. He wants to crown you with mercy and loving kindness. He wants to establish you and settle you in the things that will make your life better. He wants you to have an easy life. He's tired of you struggling. He's tired of you having a hard time. He's tired of you barely making ends meet or don't even make them wave at each other. So he understands everything there is to understand about you. So you don't have to make excuses for yourself. You don't have to keep whining about what you would like to do if you could ever get it together to do it. He know you ain't going to get it together to do it. And it doesn't matter to him. He loves you and he's going to help you anyway. So where were we? Isaiah 49 verse 7. He's the holy one says, to whom man despiseth, to whom the nation abhorreth, to the servants of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful. So he is holy and he is faithful. And he shall choose you. A holy God, but yet a faithful God. A God who doesn't take any stuff off of people. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't have to. But he's merciful. And he will bend down and lift you up with him. Whatever it is that you need to perform, he is your helper in the doing of it. Amen. Amen. So he will come to you at your level and begin to relate to you. And as he relates to you, he imparts to you part of him. Whatever you need that's of him, you can have it. And then he elevates you to the point where you can function, just like he would have you to function. So this Redeemer establishes you back in your holy inheritance. And you share in that holiness with him. In Leviticus 27, 
and verse 28. It says, Notwithstanding no devoted thing that a man shall devote unto the Lord of all that he has, both of man and beast, and of the field of his possession shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. So if something is holy, there is no price higher that it can be purchased with. You see that? These are devoted things or holy things. They have been devoted or declared holy by the Lord. So there was never a redemption or a ransom price for that. You can never redeem or purchase back that which is holy. Nor can you buy holiness. So holiness really is the highest price that there is on the earth. There is no price that can outbuy holiness. So when something is holy, that is the highest form of anything that there is. And you have been purchased by the Holy One into His holiness. So He has given you His holiness. If He bought you with it, He imparts it to you as the thing that has been missing from you to establish you and your inheritance. So once you're bought with the blood, nothing can buy you back again. The devil cannot have you back again unless you're stupid enough to listen to this. Hey, devil, wait a minute. Have you not heard? The Holy One bought me with a holy price. You can't buy me back. And I'm not serving you either. You never did nothing for me when I... I don't care how he treats me. I ain't serving you no more. Because I belong to him. Sick, sin, good, bad, I belong to the Holy One. We're in this together. After the highest price has been paid, folks, nobody can buy you back. That's why to me it's crazy to see people come in, get saved, and stay on drugs. What you on drugs for? You're holy. What are you putting unholy stuff on you for? Abusing your body is an unholy act. Why would you do that now that you're holy? You've been purchased with a higher price than the stinking drugs on the street. Know who you are. Know what he's done for you. Know that the highest price has already been paid for. The devil has no power over you. You sit up and listen to him talk, he'll convince you that you shot people somewhere. He will. You've been purchased with the highest price that could ever be paid for anything, anybody, anywhere. And that is the sinless blood of God paid for you. You tell the devil to put that in his pipe and smoke it. Well, he comes trying to dangle some stuff in your face like, you come with me, I'm a, you going to do this. Ah, shut up, devil. You don't even know what living is. I'm living large. I got myself a, a redeemed, I'm a redeemed person. I've been redeemed by the Holy One. I've been purchased into holiness. Yes, I know what my frame used to do, but that person don't live here no more. You will not find her cooperative. So you have been purchased with the highest price. So the devil cannot buy you back. 
He has many people deceived into thinking they can't get off drugs. And God has already purchased you out of the power of drugs. Makes you think you can't live without fornicating and running around and trying to be cute in front of people. Face it once and for all, you ain't cute. God's going to have to find somebody for you and convince them that you're cute. Let me move on. I be the soul Miss Shirley's book. I was like, can we talk? <laughs> God is going to have to make them see something in you that is yet unseen. <laughs> <laughs> Go have to do a miracle just to find somebody to marry you. you go somewhere and sit down and pray. In Isaiah 62, verse 12, and they shall call them the holy people. That's what we are. We are the holy people. If people tell you something like, you think you're holier, yeah, I am holier than you. (laughs) Unless you blood bought, you got some papers, birth certificates. (laughs) And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called sought out, a city not forsaken. That's us. We are sought out. And a city not forsaken. People are looking for you. Honey, they're looking for you. Because you are a holy people. That's a rare thing. You look on the television and see what's on there, honey. It's a rare thing to be a holy person. So we are sought out by people who know that they need to find God. Psalm 49, 8 tells us that redemption of the soul is precious. So when a soul comes into heaven, that is a precious thing. The Bible talks about angels rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Well, if you repent, then that means that you have had a change in your soul. You have changed your mind about who you are and you want to be somebody else. So it says, for for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. It says, no person can by any means redeem his brother. There's that kinship again. Nor give to God a ransom for him. The redemption of your soul, anybody's soul, is a precious act. That means that it cannot be merchandised. It cannot be transacted through money or through activities. It is a precious thing. Precious means that the price is set too high for a human being to be able to pay. So it has to be done a life for a life. 2 Samuel verse 4. This is a prayer of David. 
Now, a lot of people like to criticize David, but I like David. The sweet psalmist of Israel. He had a lot to say through his years of relationship with God. And not many of us could stand our relationship with God scrutinized and everybody read about it all the time. That, you got to give him credit for living through that much. And some people didn't even get an honorable mention in the Bible. It says here in Second uh, Samuel 4, I think it's verse 9 that I want. And David answered Rahab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Remen and the Berethite, and says, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. You know, we were talking about the things that pertain to our peace. And we talked about how you need peace of mind, where your soul has been redeemed out of all adversity. So when you apply the blood to your thought life, say you know you're thinking thoughts that torment you and you know you shouldn't do it, you need to repent and tell God, God, I'm sorry for going on and on like this or worrying or being in fear or whatever. You know, and your soul has been redeemed out of that adversity so that you can walk in a place where you don't have to be mindful of everything that's wrong in your life all the time. You can have peace in your soul. And that is a byproduct of redemption. It's not just a matter of you having faith to make sure your thoughts are are straight. But if you know how to get in touch with your Redeemer and say, Lord, you've delivered my soul out of all adversity. Now I need you to come here and apply the blood to my soul so that my thoughts can be straight. So that my mind can be at peace. And I can really go through this with peace of mind because you are my Redeemer and I know my Redeemer liveth. I know he lives. I know he lives. So, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 43. When you're enslaved, it puts fear on you. Slaves are never sure about themselves, never certain, never sure what God wants for you. You don't want to go to God. That's why a lot of times when you ask people, you know, that aren't saved, they want you to pray or, yeah, you pray for me. Bye. They don't want to talk to God because they haven't been redeemed yet. They don't know him as a friend and a kinsman redeemer, one who loves them will pay the highest price that he could pay for them, loves them that much. They haven't been introduced to him like that. And so a lot of times people want to keep their distance from God, and there is fear of getting close to God. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, and I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. So when you belong to the Lord, that takes all the fear out of your life. You have no fear of coming to God anymore. You have no fear of man anymore. You have been purchased out of the devil's power, so he can't hurt you. He can't harm you. He can't touch you. He can threaten you. 
and he can try to make you think he can, but he has no power over you because you've been purchased out of his power. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you did in the hallway before you came in here. You've been purchased out of his power. So all you have to do is know that your Redeemer is alive and you can call him at any time and he will come to rescue you. He has already paid for you. So you're not waiting to be redeemed. You are redeemed because he has shed his blood for you. God has purchased us back to himself so that we can serve him without fear. In Luke chapter 1, the prophecy, Zechariah's prophecy, it talks about the kinsman redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer of all humanity. And it's Jesus, and he's about to come into the earth. Starting in verse 67, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. You can get a visitation from God. The children of Israel got visitations from God all the time, but their Redeemer had not yet been given to them. He was only prophesied and talked about. Now, they could get some of the benefits of redemption, but they could not walk in a better covenant like what we have. Our redemption works on the basis of faith. All we have to do is accept and receive the things and believe that they are given to us and we can freely walk in anything that we can believe God for. You can walk on water if you can believe God to get you up on there and keep you there. And so if you live in an understanding of your redemption, it's up to you how much you understand about it. So that's what we're trying to do today is give you understanding about your redemption. He says he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So your Redeemer is also your Savior. We talked about that. The Lord of armies. He's the one who rescues you out of everything that you need rescuing from. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all. Every single enemy that hates you, your Redeemer has saved you from that. And he says to perform the mercy. Now your kinsman Redeemer, the Holy One, the Lord of armies is also a performer. So he's not just sitting waiting for you to get in trouble. He performs many, many acts for you even before you call on him. And he says he's there to perform the, the um, where was I, which verse? 72. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. So when he comes, he does merciful things on your behalf. And these things have already been promised to you. So he's coming to perform promises of redemption, of restoration, rescuing you from the enemy, pulling you out of trouble, breaking shackles and bondages off of you. He is here to help you to be free from everything that hinders you from having a life he wants you to have. 
And he says, and to remember. He remembers his holy covenant. You run out of ideas? Check in. You don't have to think of anything that you need. He already knows what you have need of before you ask him. So he's remembering his covenant to you. So when you're in trouble, he initiates your rescue. He puts it on your mind to even call him. Most of us, when we get in trouble, we're trying to hope we get out before God finds out we in it. He remembers his holy covenant. Like, fear not, you are redeemed. I have purchased you out. You don't have to be afraid of anything or anybody. Says the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemy. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of poverty. You don't have to be afraid of not enough of nothing. Don't walk in fear. You don't have to be afraid of being alone or being lonely or being left behind or abandoned or you too old to look for a husband or you too young to look for a husband and you don't know what to do. Quit being afraid of everything because he's, he's purchased you out of fear. So it says that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. He's not out to harm you. He's not out to hurt you. He's not going to make it too hard for you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He said, just learn about me. Take your yoke upon me. Because I'm easy to work with. I understand your frame. I know you're just dust. But I'm here when I get finished with you. You're going to be shaped up. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to meet you right where you are. You don't have to worry about impressing me and coming up to a certain level before I'll have anything to do with you. I've already paid the highest price I could for you while you were the most worthless. I paid the most for you. Now that you're worthwhile, what lengths do you think he might go to to help you? Now that you are the Holy One, just like he is, you're part of the holy people. And he says that we would serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. He's talking to his son, John the Baptist. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. So the Redeemer has purchased you out of the power of sin and sent your sin away. You ever have anybody do something for you and remind you every day what they did? It sucks. You don't even want to be a part of anything like that. But the Redeemer has purchased you out of your sins. And when you talk about him, you say, what's he talking about? He sent them away from you. You don't want you bringing that up all the time. He doesn't even remember it. He doesn't remember your bad. He doesn't remember your stinky. He doesn't remember your drugs you did. 
He doesn't remember when you made fun of Christians and cursed at them people that, you know, worship funny and all that. He don't remember any of that. And he wouldn't bring it up. Because he's holy. Holy people don't bring up your junk. And he says to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God. Just remember the tender mercy of your God. Don't ever ask God to overlook your sin. Ask him to look upon it and cleanse you of it. Confess it to him and tell him you want rid of it. Because he's a near kinsman. Jesus walked around in a human body and that made him a near kinsman. When he was merely God and the Son of God, he wasn't as close to you as he is after he took on human form. But he is a near kinsman. And he knows what it means to have pressures and problems and and live on the earth and have to deal with people and have to deal with stuff. He understands it. And he has provided the remedy for it. And he says that through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day springs, that's Jesus, from on high has visited us. So he's the kinsman redeemer and he's the day spring from on high. He's got more light, more revelation, more understanding in him than anybody. You know, the day spring, day spring and day star are the same thing. The day star is also called the bright and morning star. And it is brighter than the sun. And you can look in the sky sometimes and you can see a day star in heaven. There's a star that shines and it shines brighter than the sun. Well, that light is the life of men. That light there, the heavens declare the glory of God. That day star says that Jesus, your Redeemer, know that your Redeemer liveth. If you do nothing but look up at the sky and see a day star, you need to be reminded that the kinsman Redeemer, the one who came for you, and knew you were in trouble and wanted to set you on, on high with him in your own inheritance. Yes. Not begging for what you want or barely feeling like you merit anything or feeling like you've asked God too many times and you don't want to go to him again. And he's done too much for you and you want to do it on your own or go get your own little confession together and then come back and try to impress him with it. He's not that kind of God. But he's a, a near kinsman. He understands you. He loves you and he knows you. And he has visited us. And he lives in us now. And he gives light to us that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You got problems? The day spring is waiting to give you enlightenment. You're sitting there worried about what's going to happen to you? The day star is here to tell you that you are redeemed, to fear not. But you've been purchased back. You don't have to fear coming to him. You don't have to fear that he's going to put too much, require too much of you in order to get your needs met. You don't have to fear any of those things because he is a near kinsman. He understands you. He's a relative. He's somebody who's close to you and he knows what you need. He knows everything that you need. If you need healing, he knows you need that. If you need healing in your body, the kinsman redeemer, the Bible says that he has been touched with the feelings of our weaknesses and that himself 
took our sicknesses. Himself bore our diseases and our sorrows. And Jesus wants to do it, done it. He wants to did it yesterday. Now I want to share just one more scripture with you. I know I've been at this for a while, but I'm going to share you one more thing so you can understand how Jesus feels about illness. Because I think sometimes we suffer with it way too long because we don't understand how Jesus sees these things. In Matthew 12, in verse 9, it says, When he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man that had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? As religious people, no compassion, no love, no consideration, no care, no concern. They just got a bunch of rules and regulations they want you to follow. To no end. The end of their rules is always something stupid. You just get checked off because you obeyed a rule. There's no help for anybody in religion. There's no mercy in religion. There's just a bunch of rules to follow so you can feel like you're impressing people who don't follow those rules, but you're not impressing God. And so they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, what man shall there be among you that have, shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it up? So which one of you that has a sheep and it falls into a pit, will you not go and retrieve it that day? Jesus sees your sickness as an emergency that he wants to get up and get you out of it now. It's the same thing as if you had one of your animals that you cared for sliding down in the mud pit in quicksand. You've got to go out and get him right now. You don't want to wait and see if it's a Sabbath day or not. This can't wait till Monday. This can't wait till the day after tomorrow. This is something that needs attention now. And that's just how Jesus felt about this man's withered hand. He didn't care how long it's been withered. He wants it done today. He says, which one of you will not lay hold on and lift it off? In, in other words, you know, hard-hearted Pharisees, you don't care nothing about a human being, but you'll take an animal because if you don't pull it out, you're going to have to pay for another one. Right. He says, how much more then is this man better than a sheep? Right. So he knows that if we're sick, we want to be relieved now. Yeah. Nobody who's sick and suffering wants to wait for their healing. They want relief now, and Jesus understands that. Why? Because he's a redeemer. He's a holy one. He's a near kinsman. He's walked in a flesh body. He knows what it feels like. And he knows you want out of your misery now. There's another example. In, in Luke 14, in verse 1, it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, here we go on Sunday again, that they watched him. 
I hope they hid while they did it. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now that was a type of heart failure, congestive heart failure, where your heart cannot pump the blood and get the fluid out of your body so people kind of swell up and die. And it says, And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he took them and healed them and let him go. And he said to them again, Which one of you, having an ass or an ox, fallen into a pit? He sees sick people as falling into pit and needing to be pulled out immediately. Not next year, not next week, and not when Blue Cross says you can have a doctor's appointment. He sees you needing to be pulled out immediately. In Luke 13, verse 11. There he was in the Sabbath again. He was supposed to be there. He had to uh, fulfill the role of the priesthood as well. He had to end the natural priesthood. You notice he started his ministry legally. He didn't start as a priest till he was 30 years old. That was the law of the synagogue. You can only be a priest starting at age 30. So he ends the natural priesthood that belongs to the Levites and that whole system. That's why it's not lawful for the Jews to make sacrifices anymore. That whole system was done away with because the last high priest on the earth gave up his body and he died. He took that priesthood with him and now he has an eternal priesthood in the heavens. And so it says in verse 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Now he considers the first day you're sick an emergency. He said it's just like if your ox or your ass fell into the mud and you want to pull him out that same day. You don't wait 18 years to go and rescue your animal out of the mud. Huh? That's why when he redeemed us, he told us, if we can believe, we can have it. He says, you don't have to keep asking me for the same things I've given you. I've given them to you already. I told you redeemed from the curse, which means you can be healed at any time. Just grab onto it and believe it and you can have it. And he says... There was a woman with a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed over and could in no wise lift herself up. She was living beneath the place he wanted her to live. Just like the man with the withered hand couldn't do anything. He he was living beneath the place of where God wanted him to live. And Jesus saw her and called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Been there too long, honey. You finally got to the synagogue when I was here. You have a divine appointment today to be healed. Anybody who's here today has a divine appointment with God to be healed. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and told her that, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. A kinsman redeemer is not afraid to touch you at your point of need. If you need your kidneys healed, tell him you need them healed and he will touch you there. He will not touch you someplace else. 
Believe God to do what you need and what you ask him to do. And it says, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said to the people, now he's trying to turn the people against the prophet of God. There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Well, I'm sure this lady had been there many other six days and never got healed. And when the Lord answered him, he said, you hypocrite. He says, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox and his... He's saying the same thing again. Everybody he heals, he considers an emergency situation. He says, and ought not this woman. She has an obligation to be healed. She has a right to be healed. She's in covenant with me through her, her father Abraham. This woman's a daughter of Abraham, and you're standing there trying to keep her from getting healed. You hypocrite. If she was an animal, you'd pull her out of the mud. Why are you upset that I'm healing her right now? So Jesus considers every sickness an emergency. He considers it something he wants you rid of today. It's business about waiting for everything. It's a bunch of baloney, folks. Because you can make up your mind in one day that you're free and you can receive your healing from God. You can receive it on the basis of he sees you as more valuable than an ox or a sheep that has fallen into a pit. He sees sickness as a big pit that's consuming people. And he doesn't want you in that pit anymore. He wants you out and he wants you free. And he understands you. He knows how to reach you. He knows how to touch you. He knows how to increase your faith. He knows how to help your unbelief. He's holy and he's merciful. He is your near kinsman. He understands everything about you. So you can tell him what it is that concerns you. You can tell him what you're afraid of. You can tell him what you don't like about yourself. You can tell him what you want to see changed and he understands it. So if anybody wants God to touch them, that they can be healed today. You can come on up. Why don't we have some music? Praise God. And before you leave here today, I've got a little stamp. And you're going to stamp yourself redeemed. Huh? And if the devil ever tries to put anything on you, open your hand. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. Huh? You feel the anointing? Right. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. The kinsman redeemer has heard you. Your near kinsman redeemer has heard you. He has received you as one of his very own. You are redeemed from the curse of poverty. You're redeemed from the curse of sickness. You're redeemed from the second death. You are redeemed. Come here a little bit. You're redeemed, sweetie. You're redeemed. Absolutely. Positively. You're redeemed from the curse of the law. Fear not. You're redeemed. Fear not. 
You're redeemed. Fear not. You're redeemed. Fear not to come to Him with anything that you need. You're redeemed. Fear not. You're welcome into the family of God. Fear not. You're redeemed. Fear not. You're redeemed. You're purchased out of the power of darkness. You're translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. You are redeemed. You're redeemed from the curse of sickness. You're redeemed from the curse of the law. You're redeemed from anything that sin would bring to you. You are redeemed. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You're the redeemed of the Lord. And say so. Say I'm redeemed. I'm not in the devil's power anymore. I am redeemed out of the power of darkness. I am redeemed out of the curse of the law. I am redeemed out of illness. I am redeemed out of sickness and infirmity. I am redeemed out of every weakness. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am redeemed from every foul sickness. I am redeemed from everything the devil wants to put on me. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I'm purchased with the powerful blood of Jesus. I'm redeemed. And I receive the benefits of that blood in Jesus' name. I am blood bought. I am redeemed. I am redeemed out of the power of darkness. I am translated into the kingdom of his dear son of love. I am redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I am redeemed from the curse of sickness. I'm redeemed from the curse of blindness and poverty. I am redeemed out of the devil's power. I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's some oil. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed from the curse of sickness. I am redeemed from the curse of poverty. I am redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. You can keep it in Jesus' name. You're redeemed. Let her go. She's redeemed. 